The Perfect Ten. With Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time Radio Award winner. Yeah, welcome to another edition of The Perfect Ten. Hope you're well. Thank you so much for listening. And this episode, former champion halfback and a great mate of mine, Matthew the Rocket Rodwell. He's got so many great stories, and I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. First, though, we do it all thanks to Robson Civil Projects. A little bit later on, we'll catch up with Matt Snedden, the plant manager who's been with the business for 19 years. And we'll also play you the brand new commercial. Robson Civil Projects are sponsors of a brand new sports show I'm hosting with Michael Butner that you can hear on SEN Central Coast. You can download the SEN app and listen every Saturday morning from 9 till 11. Right now, let's get the show on the road. Hey, Matty, we got the green light. Rodwell, bombing away, out wide, still again to Bell, O'Davis crunch it! Western suburbs are gone! O'Davis with a double, he can also shake hands with Rodwell, whose kicking game has absolutely terrorised Mark Bell from Western suburbs. Matthew the Rocket Rodwell, welcome to the Perfect Ten. Great to be here, Steve. Uh, reliving some memories uh, for both of us when we uh, did the sports show Saturday mornings on uh, the old 2GO. Yeah, we got the team back together yeah. and uh, what a metamorphosis this radio station <laughs> has been through. Mate, it's, it's suddenly high tech from, <laughs> from when we had those wooden uh, panels uh, across the desk. Yeah, and I, I tell you, it's worthy of the perfect 10. Now, Matty, uh, what a career. So, former star halfback for our listeners that may not have seen Matty's career with Newcastle from 1990 through until 1993, then over to the Western Reds during the Super League period. That was from 95 to 97. St. George in 98, where you had a terrific run at St. George and also St. George Illawarra, the new merge club, and you are part of the squad that played in the grand final at ANZ Stadium or Stadium Australia back in 1999 with over 100,000 fans there. The Panthers from 2000 to 2001, and then 10 matches at Warrington, which we'll step through a little later in the podcast. Uh, 188 games, 39 tries, so great strike rate. Uh, you were the NRL Dalian Rookie of the Year in 1992, steered the Knights to their first ever finals campaign, Cleo Bachelor of the Year, and of course, you're part of the Tina Turner campaign, simply the best. I think, did you have some kind of speaking role in that? I did indeed, Steve. I, th- I think I still know the line. It's a bit corny. I said the the game has changed enormously in the past few years or something like that. Yeah, how did you deliver it? <clears throat> Just like that. I think rugby league's changed enormously in the past few years. <laughs> Just like that. But we met, we met Tina Turner, which was probably uh, the most fascinating thing. She's about five foot. But the whole thing was set up for, for Luke Rickardson um, to be surprised by her as he was delivering a line. She came up behind him and we were all watching and uh, and tapped him on the shoulder and he's looked around and it's Tina Turner, which is part of the commercial. It was the commercial for... Uh, 1993. Uh, it was good fun. Um, it was about six of us. Uh, I went down to a studio in Sydney and uh, the, the focus was on the, the new emerging talent coming through the game. So, yeah, great times. Yeah. Who else is there? Uh, David Sidenkamp, who had a great year. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Raper, Craig Wilson. 
Uh, just trying to think of uh, someone else. And, and how do you get a start? Like, are you the male model back in those days? <laughs> back then, they had a, had a, a team very similar to the uh, AFL, where they had the NAB Rising Star. They had the Norwich Rising Star, and 1992 was the year um, it commenced. And and I actually won that, so I won a heap of rookie awards in 1992. There was the the Dally M, which was the big one, the Norwich Rising Star. But then they announced the Norwich uh, Rising Star team. Uh, of all rookies throughout 92. It only lasted one or two more seasons, which is a real shame because it was a real thrill for the young guys. And as I said, the AFLs continued the, the tradition, but not the, uh, not the not the league. So we were selected from that team. Yeah, that's right, the NAB Rising Star. Yeah. So, Matty, uh, did you study for that line, like uh, the Seinfeld episode, <laughs> these pretzels are making me thirsty? Like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to even think. Uh, the, the memory's fading, but uh, I think we were handed the lines. We were told what to say yeah. rather than um, you know, can you can you say something about the about the game? But I guess I was at that time. Uh, I was one of the the very few going to university full time and playing. Uh, first grade, so I think I was sort of built up as a, as a bit of the, the the scholar and and the new generation of uh, footballers coming through with it, being educated and being able to play at the highest level. You know, it's the greatest ag campaign the ARL has ever been a part of, and and people still remember it so fondly. Is it one of the great moments of your life? Oh, it was, it was brilliant. It was only uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't know how the topic of conversation came up with a group of friends, and and, and look, it's so fantastic with uh, technology these days. You can Google it and find it, but it's it's more fun uh, when I when I show my daughters uh, uh, Claudia and Jazz, who are twenty and twenty two now, and they just you know look at it and laugh and go really because I'm, I'm their age when I'm doing this sort sort of stuff and and they just don't understand how how big of a thing it was at the time and it just doesn't sink in for them but uh, yeah yeah great memory steve yeah absolutely and uh the fact that tina turner you know immersed herself in the campaign and you know there's an ad where she's alongside blocker roach you know one of the legends of the game but let's backtrack so where do you grow up, Matty? Is it the ACT and also then the Riverina? Uh, pretty, pretty close, Steve. So uh, a bush boy for sure, born in Parks. Uh, mum and Dad uh, were from Forbes. Uh, mum was from Forbes and Dad, a little little place called Peak Hill. Uh, so we spent a, a lot of time uh, in that area. More, more time spent in a little place called West Wyalong and then Cootamundra. Uh, and that's where I played uh, a, a lot of my junior football from the under-10s to the under-15s. So to, for, for, for the listeners, for some context of the area, June E is about 30 minutes away and Laurie Daly was was playing in the team above above me. So if I was in the under 11s, Laurie Daly was playing in the under 12s. And Cootamundra played June E in every grand final in the age group above. And I was fortunate enough to, sometimes I was short, so you'd get asked to, to sit on the reserve bench and, and occasionally I'd get a run in the grade above, which was a big thrill. And June E won every grand final because mm. Laurie Daly just tore them apart uh, all, all the way through the schoolboys uh, system. And remember, he played first grade at 16 for the June E Diesels. Another story about Laurie Daly, uh, I used to play a lot of cricket. I, I probably um, love telling my, my wife and friends and and daughters that I was probably a better cricketer than football player. Yeah, right. But, but took the decision at around 17 to Batsman. play. Uh, opening bat. I, I, I like to think I was the David Warner before David Warner <laughs> burst onto the scene. Swashbuckler. <laughs> yeah. Used to take them on, steve uh, But um, we, we uh, uh, went to Juni to play them uh, in a rep team, Kudamundra versus Juni, and old concrete pitch, and they used to lay these Hessian mats out. Two Hessian mats joined in the middle. If it hit in the middle, the sort of ball would... Uh, 
take an awkward bounce and they call it a no ball. Anyway, Junee was short of players. Only had about nine players, like stinking hot day in Junee. So you hear the boys, where's Laurie? Go get Laurie. Where's Laurie? And, and probably a couple of other names, but Laurie stuck out because I oh, know this kid, he's that footballer. Yeah. And uh, so Laurie's turned up in a pair of footy shorts and uh, they, they had to find him a white shirt. <laughs> uh, whether he had shoes on, I don't know. But anyway, I can't remember we batted or bowled, but the memory I have, Laurie Daly walked into bat and he just belted us uh, around the oval. Wow. And he hit a six. Uh, and those who have played cricket probably know how hard you've got to hit the ball. I reckon it went head height from the time he hit it across the boundary for a six, not not a big looping six. He just belted this ball and we were just all in awe of the power and the strength of this this kid from Junee because we knew he was a terrific footballer. We didn't know he, he could handle a cricket bat. And uh, I, I, that, that memory just, just sticks in my mind for some reason because it's the great Laurie Daly, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, fun, fun times back then. So um, from Cootamundra... Oh, um, hold it. You mentioned yep. Junie Diesels. Yep. I've uh, just got to give a shout-out to uh, one of the great Bulldogs, Adam Nugget Perry. He lives out that way now. Yeah, he uh, played with them, won the uh, 2004 Premiership, of course, and uh, we've been in contact recently. So Nugget, uh, great to have you on board listening to The Perfect Ten. So just tell me more about Laurie Daly as a young footballer before he bursts on the scene. Uh, was he always destined to reach the top level? Oh, a- a- absolutely. So he, he was the name on uh, everyone's lips whenever Kudamundra played Junie. And even when we were playing in the grade below, we couldn't wait to, for our game to finish and then go and watch Laurie Daly. It was his... Uh, powerful running. He he was just able to to break tackles and and bust through, and it was like a, uh, as they often say, uh, a man playing against against boys. But he he wasn't overly big. He was just just so strong and, and just seemed to be able to see things. There were, there were a couple of handy players around him. I, I I can't quite remember their names, so he didn't do it all by himself. But yeah, I saw. Uh, Laurie Daly play, and I was also the same age as Brad Fittler, and he was the other one that that stands out. A little bit older when we got to year 12 and we were sort of vying for those um, uh, schoolboy rep teams. He was the other one which just just amazed me in terms of their their strength and power uh, at such a young age. And the best sidestep that we've ever seen from Mm. Freddie. Uh, So when do you move to the Hunter Valley? And we're talking you moved to Rugby League Heartland. Uh, Group 21, is it? That's right, Steve. Uh, The Singleton Red Dogs. So uh, when I commenced year 10, so I I did my final years of school uh, in Singleton, years 10, 11 and 12, and played for the Singleton Red Dogs, uh, under 16s and and two years of of under 18s. The Red Dogs. The Red Dogs. Uh, It was was a great club. And still then, you know, it it was such a... Uh, a great day at the footy because you had 16s, 18s. I, I'm, I think there was the third grade, reserve grade, first grade. And in my last year, uh, Steve Mullen, the uh, the dad of Jared Mullen, he was uh, the captain coach. And, uh, you know, I was, I was playing pretty well. Uh, it was a pretty tough competition, you know, playing against Musselbrook, Aberdeen, Scone, Merry War. Karindai, uh, those sort of um, teams, and we we actually made the grand final in the last year of the 18s. My last grand final, by the way, that I actually physically oh. played in, Steve. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, you, th- you you think you're going to play in grand finals all your life? Yeah. But, uh, so it was under 18s. We played uh, uh, Merry War at Merry War, and we got beat. Uh, 
29-28 and <laughs> in extra time and uh, my opposition, uh, a little a little Aboriginal halfback, I don't know, still don't know how he did it. Wet day, we had the old, still playing with the uh, leather footballs yeah. that soaked up the water and he snapped this wobbly old field goal from about 40 metres and we were just watching it sail through the air and it's just gone over the crossbar for them to claim victory. We, could, we couldn't believe it. Wow, but, so uh, that vivid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I was just I, – I, I tell that story a lot because I can't believe how this uh, spindly kid, lucky to be 60 kilos, is able to, to, to kick this field goal and that was the last time I featured in a, in a grand final. So, But but from Singleton, it was uh, um, interesting because uh, my, my dad was uh, involved with the club. I think he was uh, secretarial and, and Steve uh, Mullen was coming to dad say, I think Matt's ready for first grade, ready for first grade, can we give him a run? And the old man just kept saying, no, no. He's still too young. He's you know let him see out the under 18s and uh, and then then we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, um, so your dad held you back. Yeah, he, he did. Probably the best best thing for me. Probably wouldn't have gained anything by playing uh, local first grade at uh, at 17 yeah. years of age. And but, you know, Matty, it's a massive step up when you start playing the men. Oh, absolutely. Which which, which we'll get get to shortly. But um, I was fortunate enough at the end of that year, so I I'd completed uh, my HSC. And I knew there was there were people watching, and and you know I was getting a bit antsy about what I was going to do next year because I was very keen to start in the lower grades at a, at a club. And Newcastle was always the preference. I could go to Newcastle Uni and then then hopefully um, play uh, with the the Newcastle Knights. So a gentleman who's still about uh, Keith Onslow was a was a scout, and and Keith invited me to an open trial at uh, Toronto um, in around uh, September or October of, of that of that year, and just turned up. Open trial, anyone play together, and and myself and Adam Muir, pretty handy back rower who who represented New South Wales Australia, played for Newcastle and uh, North Sydney. Uh, we just clicked, and 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 we just combined so well throughout the afternoon in four or five games, and. I'd either make a, a break and he'd be there or I'd be putting him through a hole and then he'd find me. We, we scored probably, oh, who knows, you know, half a dozen tries each. Like the Cliffy and Beaver combination. Oh, abs- absolutely. So, uh, so something just clicked, clicked between us on that on that trial day. Anyway, uh, my, my dad came and watched, and uh, as you still do with your son only 17 or whatever, and, and we're walking uh, back towards the car. We didn't get any feedback. We're sort of, thanks, boys, you know, off you go. Um, we'll be in touch. Anyway, we hear this, uh, Ken, dad's name, Matthew, and we look around, it's Alan McMahon, the late Alan McMahon. And he said, can I have a word? And uh, he, he walked uh, uh, over to us and just the three of us, he said, I was really impressed by Matt today. I'd like to offer him a contract. We'll be in touch during the week. And I, I, I've nearly fainted and gone, oh, this is my dream has come true. So so here we go. Just turned up to this open trial, played really well. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the first grade coach of the Knights. So this was... Um, that is amazing. This was 89. So the Knights started 88 and they'd been through the 89 season. Season. Did you know he was there? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I did. I'm pretty sure I did because there were people with, with the Knights gear, you know, uh, tracksuits or whatever, walking around or t- t-shirts and, and that sort of thing. So, but but sure enough, uh, I actually think we went we went um, we went to the Knights offices the next week and uh, and signed a three-year contract which was worth five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, and fifteen thousand dollars. So you know, I was just. Uh, my life was made. <laughs> yeah. I'd achieved what I what I was after. To uh, any kind of uh, manager involved? No, nah, no, no manager. It was just offered, and we just we just accepted. <laughs> there was a, there was a few incentives along the way, which uh, which rolled up into the next year if you, if you played first grade. But it was just just a just a thrill. There was a couple of um, uh, other other players from around. 
which I didn't know well, but but were also um, offered contracts or at least train and trial contracts as they, they call them today. So it was pretty exciting, you know, uh, uh, the timing was well. I, I, I was found um, a family who took me in, sort of billeted um, me out for, as I left uh, the family home and, and lived in Newcastle, was going to Newcastle University and was uh, commencing pre-season training with Newcastle in November. Wow, 1989. Yeah, I've got a key question for you through that period. Who inspires you through that period? Who really believes and encourages you through that period? Was there teachers uh, in the Upper Hutter? Uh, were there coaches? Who were the people that kind of pushed you in that direction? Uh, Steve, t- to be honest, uh, no one but but myself. Um, I went to a small Catholic school where there was only seven males, so we never had a uh, uh, our own rugby league team. So it was myself going to, to trials, to trying to be selected in the schoolboys team. So I, I didn't play uh, the New South Wales or my, uh, Catholic schoolboys or, or the Australian schoolboys, but I got the possibles and probables, and I was I was a, a shadow player, as as they call it. Were you dudded? Um, I probably thought I deserved to be in there, but it was. Pretty Pretty hard because these guys, you know, so this was the the Brad Fittler, the Jason Taylor, the Jimmy Smith, the Tim Brasher era, right? So golden yeah. golden era. Yes. Uh, and, and I didn't know these guys, but these guys were already sort of uh, tied up with the uh, junior <laughs> systems at uh, ARL clubs. And here's me from Singleton just sort of lobbing in and, and going, okay, you, you'll play this 15 minutes with players I don't know anything about. Whereas you can see Taylor was working with Fittler and Fittler was working with someone else. And, yeah. And you just go, well, these guys play against each other and with each other almost every week. So it, yeah. was, it was pretty hard pretty hard to crack. So I thought I did did well in the, cir- the circumstances, but I can't remember the name, but I was filthy. I thought Taylor was, he had some skills that I didn't really, really have. And I was sort of looking at him going, <laughs> Okay, how, how do I be that player? But the reserve halfback, I thought I thought I probably should have got the nod over him, but I had some um, um, satisfaction that he never kicked on, and I don't want to name him to be disrespectful, but he, he was already signed by one of the clubs. It might have been Parramatta. So I was sort of watching him and... But but I made first grade before him, and 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 then I sort of had a, had a longer career. I don't think he ever played first grade. Funny how those little things sort of give you some motivation and sort of inspire you. That 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 kid beat me for that spot, so I'm going to make sure next opportunity <laughs> that I uh, that I get the job. Yeah, well, Mark O'Mealy came on the perfect ten, and he was driven his entire career by being told he wasn't good enough. Yeah, right. And never made any rep team, and then burst on the scene at. North Sydney, you know, what a, what a stellar career oh, absolutely. by the ogre. What, what were your great attributes? Well, I, th- I think they changed over time. Cert- certainly when I, when I was younger, I could sort of uh, break a line. I ha- had good good vision and, and footwork and could put a player through a hole. This was all very unstructured. When I went to Newcastle, it, it just became f- – I didn't know what I'd landed. It was like, like on a, a different planet. I, I, I was taught how to pass and how to, how to do little things like um, – it's a bit technical, but how to do an unders play and an overs play uh, all, th- all through – the Warren Ryan School of Coaching where Alan McMahon and David Waite and Alan Bell uh, were taught themselves. And I thought, when are we going to play? Like, we just spent hours and hours and hours on the fundamentals. So when you hear someone like Matthew Johns or Andrew Johns who came through the same system and Matthew at the same time as myself, this is what they're referring to. Newcastle had this uh, training framework uh, based on the fundamentals of of how you catch a football, how you pass, how how you hold up a defender, how you defend um, that was just just golden in, in, in that era that uh, other clubs have tried to replicate. And 
I look at some of the halfbacks today and you just say that they don't know how to play. They don't they haven't been educated in the fundamentals of the game. Like if, if Warren Ryan or David Wade or the late Alan McMahon were watching them, they'd, they'd be horrified. They don't even know how to hold up a defender, don't know how to read a defence. And you just wonder um, how, how they, they've got to the level that they've gotten to and what they could do if they'd actually um, understood the fundamentals of the game in more detail. Yeah, I, t- I tell you, I find that comment staggering. I can show you. I can, I can pull out tape and we could, we could watch and I could pinpoint the halfbacks and go, he's got no idea how to hold up a defender, that guy. Yeah, and let's remember too, like I want to discuss this. You came through the Halcyon period of great teams. You're playing through the period of the great Broncos team that went back to back in 92, 93. You see Canberra, 89, 90 and 94. Uh, You're there right when, you know, some of the best players we've ever seen in our lifetime are doing their best work. You also make your debut against the Balmain Tigers. (laughs) What are your memories? Oh, that was, that was, that was, Totally out of the blue, Steve. So I started in 1990. So I've come out of under-18s at Singleton straight into reserve grade. and The, the, the best apprenticeship I ever had. So still a young boy um, playing against men because the reserve grade was a true reserve grade back then. And I had some really old hard heads around me that just really protect, protected me. That, you know, you, you talk about um, resilience and being tough and, and, and brought up through a system. That's what really prepared me well. But in, in 1990, out, out of the blue, so it must have been after uh, a handful of games, and I remember it was at Leichhardt Oval, and we'd beaten Balmain in reserve grade, and I'd played really well, really, really turned it on. So we used to all sit on the bench. Back then, there was no nominated reserves. You could nominate up to 10 players. So we always just sit there, and we'd never get a start, right? So we'd all be joking and just watching, and it was it was like uh, bench lotto. We'd wait until the, uh, the four interchanges had been selected, and then the rest of us would go off and, ha- and have a shower. So minding my own business, watching New- Newcastle were down a little bit and all of a sudden someone's walked over to the bench and they started to head my way. I had this sense they're coming to me. I said, what the hell's going on here? Maddie, you're on. And I go, what? what? I'm, on, I'm on. So telephone on the bench, Alan McMahon, Maddie, get on there and win it for us. And I've gone... What? Is that what so, he said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're down by 10 points or something with 10 to go. So all of a sudden I'm on the field. I haven't trained with the first grade squad. I probably They barely know who I am. And uh, uh, I didn't do much. I think I uh, threw a wayward pass trying to, to get it over to someone. And I think it actually got to the point where James Grant, who I later played with over in Perth, um, picked it up and scooted away for a try. So it was a memorable 10 minutes in 1990. But I didn't play first grade again until 1992. So I really view <laughs> the first game of 1992 against Illawarra as, as my genuine debut. When uh, we did the sports show together, I still remember you saying to me that you had to tackle Blocker Roach and I think you said he was the hardest man you ever had to tackle. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. He did not move, Steve. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a slab of con- concrete. Uh, if, if 92 must have been his la- last year and uh, I remember we, we, we played them and, and it's been on Fox recently, the, ac- the actual game and uh, I took some interest in watching. I don't, don't usually watch it. Move, moved on from that era. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so Blocker just lumbered forward. I think he ran at me, you know, I, I was weighing in at like 75 kilos, so so pretty small when I when I debuted. 
and uh, I went to just tackle him around the legs and uh, uh, he just did nothing happen. <laughs> I just wrapped him up and just sort of ha- ha- hanging onto him underneath, like beneath and, and waiting for, for someone to come over the top. And the, uh, the other guy, and that makes sense because they're big, big humans, big guys, was Mal Meninga when we played them down at, down at Canberra. He tackled me and absolutely knocked, knocked the wind out oh. of me. Like he, I must have been running sideways <laughs> looking and he sort of blindsided me and uh, – that, that and I looked up and it's big Mal and I've got wow that's 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 you know the Australian captains just yeah creamed me yeah Mal's uh, one of my favourite players of all time because I used to watch him in Queensland he played with Souths uh, alongside Peter Jackson mm, back in the 1980s and uh, great comp in Brisbane speaking of blocker like he always is the nicest guy he always asks about my son Corey because Corey plays water polo and so does his son Aiden, right, yeah. who went to the Olympics. And uh, to see the offspring of a player like that also be an elite athlete is magnificent to watch. Yeah. So let's talk about 1992. Let's fast forward. Man, you just have a season that's off the charts. Oh, it was incredible, Steve. So um, I, I got the nod. So Alan McMahon was um, uh, replaced as uh, coach in the in the latter half of the season before in 91 by David Waite, who was the reserve grade coach. And he really took me under his wing and, and, and groomed me in the type of player that he thought Newcastle needed. And it was very much around an organising halfback uh, kicking game and being, and being sort of sort of tough um, because that's what Newcastle will build around, just being a really, really tough uh, team. So got the start in, in 92 and it was a great blend of um, classic blend of youth and experience. So uh, you, th- you think of um, uh, Mark Sargent, Paul Harrigan, uh, Robbie McCormack, Michael Hagen, uh, Mark Glanville, uh, Tony Kemp, a couple of Kiwis. And then uh, a mix of, of youth. Brad Godden made his debut and played for Australia that year. Robbie O'Davis was on the wing. Adrian Brunker. Ashley Gordon was still on another wing. Uh, and myself. So it was just just a, a classic blend of youth and experience. And, and we just clicked. And it's, it's funny watching the game these days. Uh, maybe not so last year, but certainly in the previous 10 years, a lot of these block plays that I think most people got sick and tired of. If you go back and watch Newcastle in 92, we actually did or invented or innovated that type of play. And uh, it wasn't until much later that other teams p- picked up on it. And I, we had a lot of success and scored a lot of tries uh, out of it. But we came, um, we finished fourth, so top five back then. And that was the first time that Newcastle had made the finals. So it started in 1988 and made the finals for the first time in 1992. I know they won grand finals in 97 and 2001. But at the time, it was the biggest thrill for, for us as players and the Newcastle community. And we went down and played Western Suburbs, coached by Warren Ryan. The halfback was Jason Taylor, you know, Andrew Farrar, um, pretty hard uh, old heads in that team. And we absolutely belted them in the first semi-final. I think we won something like 22 points to four. So, And that was a knockout semi-final. So we were flying high and thinking, hey, we're, we're a genuine chance. Because we'd played the Broncos twice, Steve, and um, we played them at Newcastle. And we we were beaten 12-10. And back then, Wayne Bennett said that was the, one of the, the best 10 games that he had ever seen um, as a coach. And we thought in 92 we were the only team capable of knocking the Broncos over. Uh, 
uh, we went back um, up to Brisbane to, to play them and we, and we got beaten. I think it was like 32-14, but we were leading 14-0. Um, but I was – Bill Harrigan put me in the sin bin, like um, – and Mark Lanville was sent in the sin bin. And you, no. men- you mentioned that team. Like, Hollywood. Yeah, full of full of uh, Australian representatives. They, they took advantage of that. It was one of those scenarios where uh, the ball had went dead, so the opposition ran back to the 20-metre line quickly and, and tapped it. And I wasn't back 10 metres but made the tackle. And uh, I was put – the only time I was ever put in the sin bin got, got – it must have been five or ten minutes – I mean, five minutes in the sin bin back then for something as innocuous as that. So we missed our chance then, but we, we were champing at the bit to have another crack at the Broncos because we thought we thought we had their measure. But in the in the next game, and this this was a cla- this was a classic game. The next final, we played the the Dragons, and um, we were we were beaten in a trialless semi final, um, three points to two. Mark Coyne, who I now work with, his brother Peter Coyne kicked a field goal um, to to win the game, and we had the chance. We had the chance late in the game. We actually had a couple of chances, uh, two double movements. We'd actually crossed the line and scored. And they were ruled, ruled double movements. They were probably genuine. And late in the game, it was a tough kick, but Johnny Schuster, uh, all-black centre, could kick him from anywhere. But from 40 metres out, we, we took the tap instead. We nearly scored in the corner, but uh, we failed to. We copped a bit of flack over that. Why didn't we take the two and, and sort of win? But, you know, uh, great memories. And then the Dragons, they played Illawarra the next week. They won that, and then they played in the grand final for that year, and the Broncos beat them, and they beat them in the, in the next year. But we thought 92. That was our year. If we were ever a, a, a chance to beat the Broncos, that that was it. But I uh, uh, didn't quite get there. I'll tell you, Matty, uh, that would have to be one of the handful of games in history. There was the 2-0 State of Origin game, but a tryless game. Yeah, it was... It, it was it's in, almost unheard of, oh, right? It was incredible when, when we were playing because we... We'd, We'd gotten so close uh, on a couple of times and we defended really well and it was a sort of free-flowing game. Like, it wasn't a boring game. If you go back and watch it, which I have, you know, we're going sort of le- length of field uh, e- either way, but we just couldn't cross cross the stripe and uh, it was re- really disappointing. But but back then, that was my first year of first grade, uh, f- featured in the semi-finals. I'm thinking, oh, this is fantastic. We're going to do this every year. Uh, didn't quite turn out that way. Could you sense something special about Brisbane? Back then, you you were you were nervous playing them because of, because of the quality, but um, you know it was just just surreal. So the the first time I, I, I came up against Alan Langer uh, in that game at Newcastle, which I just spoke about, we went up to to feed the ball in the scrum, and he's a cheeky little thing. He just goes, he looks like he was chewing gum. He just goes, "G'day, Matty." I'm going. How would Alan Langer even know who I am? Like it was just, it was just surreal for me, yeah. and you, you just felt, oh, you, you know, you, you're comfortable in that. And the the other story from '92, Steve, which you'll love because you'll know about this one. Um, we played uh, the Bulldogs at Belmore, and uh, Terry Lamb, the great Terry Lamb, Bar was was the was the five eight, and I actually um, I caught him in a high tackle, and I got called out by the referee and penalised. And Terry Lamb walked over to the ref, mate. Nothing in it. Don't worry about it. Let it go. And I've gone, what just happened? Yeah. Like, like, do you know what I mean? But that was the game. I actually yeah. had a pretty cracking game. That was the game we were leading 12-10 and Barr took the, f- <laughs> took the field goal because he thought it was 10-all. So he took the field goal late in the game uh, and the score was 12-11, <laughs> yeah. right? And everyone's looking at him going... You got your maths right there, there, Terry. Uh, and he's looking. And he's going. Wasn't the score ten all? No, it was twelve ten. What so. a superstar! <laughs> the great Terry Lamb. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He he is my favourite player of all time. Terrific uh, play. Yeah, absolutely. So you lead them to their first final series in the history of the franchise. And I mean, what what are your memories of 
running out on marathon. I mean, is that something you miss? Oh. Um, only an athlete can tell this story. Like walking down the tunnel into a packed house at Marathon Stadium. Take me back there. Oh, Steve, it was, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, now, no no grandstands on the far side. There was only the one grandstand. It was a big hill from um, uh, all around the, 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 the two ends of the ground and wrapping around the uh, the eastern side um, towards the sea and the, the grandstand was on the western side. They used to jam-pack 30 or 32 screaming, screaming fans uh, into into the, the ground. 32,000? Yeah, it was just – you used to run out and you couldn't hear um, – the other players. It was just the just the rule. Like back then, the town just loved the Knights. I think over time, um, with a few players that they didn't really really like, and and either love or hate sort of thing, the town's not as invested in their team as what they once they once were. Is is my view. But but back then, it was just this roar of the crowd, and, and it was it was almost amateurish. Like we we used to uh, we had the change rooms underneath, but then we'd walk out through the car park. Across Turton Road <laughs> into the uh, ovals at the uh, at the back of the school to warm up, and we'd be walking through the crowd, and they'd be you know slapping you on the back. Whereas now they're all protected; they warm out in the field, yeah. and there's no interaction with the crowd what whatsoever. And you'd just be walking a lot, you know, warming up half an hour before the game, signing a couple of autographs on on your way out there, and people just you know go the nights, you know, get into a matty or whoever. Um, it just doesn't happen these days. But uh, but I think with the the uh, the fans being able to see you as uh, a person and uh, um, being able to sort of connect with you, I think that just made uh, that support that they provided so, so much more tangible than what we see today. So that, that it was just just a real thrill. It was just. The, the hairs on the back of your neck sort of sort of stood up, and you probably took it for granted too, Steve, because not many people get the chance to to play in in circumstances like that. Like there wouldn't be too many of the the, the, the current teams that run out in front of thirty thousand um, packed stadiums uh, uh, of their home fans, so so, so to speak. But um, yeah, it was uh, you know you don't reflect on it too often. Only in sort of opportunities like this, it's uh, it br- brings back some really fond memories. Yeah, Maddie, you've got to confirm this. Were you or weren't you the Clio <laughs> Bachelor of the Year? I, I don't know how it happened, Steve. Um, but but <laughs> I, I got got advised to uh, look at the Wikipedia page of of myself, and somehow Wikipedia you can sort of manipulate it. But so, oh, so you wrote it in? No, I didn't. I didn't write it in. But uh, whoever created it had uh, Matt Rodwell won the 1993 Clio Bachelor of the Year. So I, I claimed it for many years, but um, I'm pretty sure Jack Ellsgood. Yeah. Uh, I was never in the competition, Steve. So I'm giving uh, up a lot of secrets here. Now he's a good-looking hombre. Yeah, Jack. Elsgood, so uh, who I think he won the Dally M player in '93, big strapping winger, yeah, good looking guy. And I think he was in the actual competition. Whether he won it or not, I'm not entirely sure, but I think they, they, they were meant to say it was Jack Ellsgood. But I've had a lot of fun with it over the years, Steve, and uh, uh, often remind my wife who she's married to. <laughs> yeah, so it's around this time that you meet the love of your life, uh, Rebecca Rodwell. Yeah, I did. Uh, we uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a story where as Knights players were involved with McHappy Day and I was with Ashley Gordon and uh, we were at uh, Edgeworth McDonald's and uh, Beck was... Uh, just one of the employees there and there were about six of us who came to to serve customers on McHappy Day and encourage donations and uh, and that's where I I first met Beck and you know we've been uh, together ever since 25th wedding anniversary last year Steve so yeah. it's a good innings yeah beautiful mate congratulations hey so Maddie 
92, let's just finish with that unbelievable season that you had. How did it feel to be the Dally M Rookie of the Year? Oh, it was, was terrific, Steve. Again, it's it just, just a blur. Um, they had a breakfast back then and I was at, at a table um, with Benny Elias, Brad Clyde, uh, Beck, Beck, we were able to take your partner. So Beck was with me and she was just sort of starry eyed. And uh, so we actually got presented the award um, at the breakfast, but we're also acknowledged on grand final day. So we got um, um, prime seats to the 92 grand final. And that, that was the funny one where uh, the parachutists came in and they ended up landing on the roof of the football stadium. They actually yeah. missed the, the field and landed on the roof. Uh, we, we sat with Brad Clyde and his, uh, his partner at the time and we got presented to the crowd at uh, in, in the pre-game as the Dally M winners. So um, also that year I, I mentioned I won this uh, sort of award with the, the press called the Rugby League Writers Association Discoverer of the Year, the Norwich Rising Star. So it just sort of went bang, 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 bang. And uh, it was, um, you know, a, a real thrill. But again, you just... Just as a young person, you just sort of go with the punches. Hopefully I didn't get too carried away with it, but um, in rolling into the 93 season, uh, when you reflect back, you probably could have done more. I think they're so much more professional these days There's because I, I was sort of earmarked with the second-year syndrome, which which in my view I think it's a little, little unfair because I think that the team – the team didn't quite get to the same level. We missed out in the finals. Um, I, I, I was dropped late, late in the season, but there was some pressure on because in '92 they'd signed Jason Martin. Not, I don't think they knew how well I would have progressed. So Jason Martin from North Sydney uh, was on the books for '93. Matthew Johns was coming through. Andrew Johns was a little bit further down, but he he was coming through. So there's a lot of pressure building, and uh, they pulled this kid up from from Singleton who suddenly had a stellar year in 92 and I think their plans um, succession plans were a little bit thrown um, by by my efforts but they knew Michael Hagan was retiring um, so 93 uh, we, we didn't get where we wanted to be so the start of 94 in, in the off season I really knuckled down was the fittest strongest I'd, I'd ever been and Matthew Johns debuted in 93 we played a few games together and he, he was always you know very very handy handy player obviously but Andrew hadn't debuted at that stage and um, he was playing well in the lower grades and I was seeing him play and I said I've got to play really well in first grade to, to keep my spot but 94. Um, last trial game at uh, Caltex Field, as it was called, Shark Park, playing against Cronulla. And, and David Waite, the coach, he came and saw me going going into the game and he said, want to take some pressure off you. I'm selecting you as the starting halfback for round one. Go out there and just practice what we've been, um, uh, how we've been training and uh, and you'll be fine, okay? Don't go out there thinking you have to put a you know nine out of ten game together to, to get your spot. So I thought, great, weight of expectations on, off my shoulders, just go out there and join the trial. But within 10 minutes, uh, I ran from dummy half and was tackled by uh, Andrew Eddinghausen and someone else and snapped my anterior cruciate ligament. And uh, Andrew Eddinghausen, who I'd met a couple of times, he knew straight away something was wrong. And, you know, for, for a young person, I mean, there's lots of tragedies in people's life. I'm not going to say it's a tragedy, but um, it, it really really shook me up and uh, became really emotional about, about it, the recovery and, and that sort of thing. So the next week, or we might have had a week off the next week, they called up Andrew Johns uh, into, the, into the team and he debuted against South Sydney and scored like 22 or 24 points, yeah. a club record for an individual, and never looked back. 24 points. There you 
you go. So I always say, look, no one was ever going to hold back Andrew Johns, but um, I played a I played a uh, a pivotal role in in when he debuted for for Newcastle. Um, fortunately, uh, and again, we didn't have look. I was still contracted to the Knights. I was talking to Perth and Peter Mulholland after I did my knee. Uh, he said, "Maddie, we still want to talk to you about going over to to the Perth Reds and or Western Reds." It was at the uh, at the time. So I had I had something to look forward to, uh, but they still just just didn't have the professionalism about re, re, about your rehab and that that sort of th- thing because I did it right at the start of '94, committed to the Reds. Uh, I don't know midway through '94, then Newcastle sort of dropped off their attention to to my rehab, which was a bit of a shame. But yeah. I could have done more about it myself. But you only know what you only know. Like so much more. Um, you know, with age comes maturity and understanding and that sort of thing. So I wish I, one of those cliches, uh, know what I know now back then would have helped with my recovery. Yeah. Well, one more question about the Knights. Did you have any idea that you were looking at the eighth immortal? Oh, no. We knew, knew he was a good footballer, a bit of a larrikin. Um, knew he could, like, absolutely play and had 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 a, had a skill set that sort of wowed everyone, particularly his kicking game. But, you know, wouldn't have thought thought it like that. Like that. You know, he could have been a teammate. He, he came a competitor and a really aggressive competitor against me, which um, probably wouldn't acknowledge, but I really enjoyed too. You know, he thought he'd get under my skin by being really aggressive when we played each other. Because Matty Johns tells the story he used to hate the halfbacks he played against. My name actually wasn't wasn't mentioned, but uh, obviously I had a lot of mates at Newcastle and, and leading into a couple of games, um, you know, he said, oh, Johns is going to go out and bash you. He's going to, he's coming for you. So what? Like, br- br- bring it on. So I think maybe, you know, as Andrew matured a little bit, I probably surprised him a little bit with with my toughness and aggression to, to, to match his when we played um, against each other numerous times. Okay, the Western Reds, when you look back on that period, I mean, you almost hold a couple of records there. I think you're one game shy of the club record for games played. Mm. I think you're one shy of maybe the try scoring record. Like, yeah, that was a really good period for your career. Would you agree? And and tell me about some of the players that were there. We know that the great MG was over there. <laughs> Funniest man I've ever met, Mark Guyer. Uh, and, and look, I had, I had some time with him too, Steve, because not only did we play there, we, we played at Penrith together. So I had five seasons with uh, big, big MG. Um, I, I liken the the Perth experience to to what Melbourne did, and it's a shame that Perth folded as part of the ARL Super League um, war ceasing, because we we had a strong following um, back then. I think average crowds were twelve thousand. It really annoys me when I see in the media or people say Perth failed. Perth never failed. It was part of the ceasefire. And a lot of South Africans, a lot of Kiwis, they really enjoyed enjoyed their footy. There wasn't a rugby side uh, over there. The Western Force came into uh, uh, play once uh, Perth, uh, the league team, moved on. But, uh, you know, we had high hopes. We're playing at the Wacker, not a great ga- uh, ground to watch footy. There were plans to build a rectangular stadium and, and really cement, cement Perth. But... I think we'll say far far removed. Um, some players really excelled over there. I, I think footy wise, I, I went I went backwards o- over there, but I don't regret it because it was just such a, a, a terrific time. Um, you really bonded with um, the guys over there, and and you you, you create lifelong friends. Again, cl- cliche, but it's very true. And it was just a, you, you were pioneers. You were bringing league league to the wild west, and and they really talk about the east coast as being almost another country over there. And uh, we were able to slide in sort of under the guard um, of the AFL, and 
begin uh, a, a journey for for rugby league in the West, which which uh, hopefully someday we'll get a we'll, we'll get a return. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that with expansion, it sounds like Brisbane could be in the box seat for a seventeenth team, but. For a while, it looked like Perth was definitely on the cut. Yeah, I, I agree, Steve. It seems to be the uh, the, the flavour, and you can see why. But you know, Perth stacks up television-wise because of the time difference. They could play games at uh, you know, I think at nine thirty, which is um, seven thirty over in Perth time. So you can put back-to-back <laughs> games. But but anyway, that, that, that's that's probably only if they go to eighteen teams. I think Perth um, will come back into the picture. But you talk of players. So Brad Mackay was there for the first year, and he's a great guy. And he uh, only lasted a year and signed with the Dragons. Didn't want to be part of Super League for whatever reason. He was the only player um, who who rejected being part of Super League. Uh, Mark Guy. Uh, Robbie Kearns, Rodney Howe, um, Scott Wilson, Julian O'Neill, um, a few discards who came over and, and played pretty well. You told me once, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that MG was uh, like loitering maybe in the Ingol area. Someone yelled out, MG, you're on the big bucks. It's your hit up. <laughs> Oh, there's probably plenty of that. That probably would have been Scott Scott Wilson. A uh, funny thing, because, you know, we were learning to play with each other as well. We actually won our first game. It's a great game, like 27,000 at the Wacker. You know, we had fun at training, you know, reminiscing where Lily and, and – uh, um, Jeff Thompson used to send send the balls down because you know this was the infamous whacker and we yeah. were playing footy. It was almost sacrilege uh, tearing up the uh, pitch. No dropping pitches uh, uh, back then, and we knew to avoid that because <laughs> it was it was worse than North Sydney Oval. We if you if you got tackled on the whacker centre wicket, man, you had scratches and bruises and scrapes everywhere. We played the Dragons in front of twenty seven thousand people. They were a pretty red red hot team, and and we beat them as our as our first victory it was just just magnificent but we got to play with MG and uh, the opposition were, were taking a, a shot at penalty goal so we were all sort of lined up we're not not together like sheep spread out and MG's yelling out wheelbarrows wheelbarrows and I'm probably 10 metres away from him wheelbarrows I'm, and I saw him after the game I said what the hell are you yelling out wheelbarrows for he said that's exactly right if you don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> The goal, the goal kicker's got no idea what I'm talking about, so I'm trying to put him off. I said, all right, all right, that's a bit of MG humour. Yeah. Oh, jeez, it, it shook me. I didn't know what he was on about. Oh, he's done well, MG. Oh, done great, yeah. Well, love the big guy. Hey, uh, was the money mind-blowing? Uh, you don't have to give us numbers, but I do remember that Canterbury, you know, the team I love, I think they signed before anyone else and were disappointed with the deal they did. <laughs> well, we were probably a little bit dudded too, Steve, because, again, being, being over in, in, in the West. But we, we played the Sharks uh, in a night game over there. So they were staying in town, and we'd sort of mingled with them. But we got this call, and we didn't go out. I think, I think we were pretty disappointed with their efforts. So I think as a team we said, we're not, we're not going out after the game or whatever. But the coach rang at about 11 a.m. and said, Peter Mulholland, he said, you've got to get to Burwood Casino now. Oh, what's this all about, Pete? Burswood or Burwood Casino? So, you know, we started calling each other. You've got the same message. So we, we all uh, went down to Burwood Casino. And by then, the rumour mill was in, in, in full force. Super League were here, just Super League. So uh, one by one, we were ushered into uh, an office and uh, they said, what's your contract? And they said, oh, just rough figures. I say $100,000. Okay, um, we're going to sign you up for $350,000 for two years. And he's he's $10,000 uh, signing bonus. Really? Uh, any time to think about this? No, that's that's the deal. 
Uh, okay, so we sort of said, I, th- I think they said, go, go away and talk to your teammates or you can talk, but you've got to sign tonight. You have to sign tonight. So we were all there and we said, this is, this is amazing. And uh, so we agreed as a team um, to sign up basically that night, as did the Sharks. Uh, and we thought we were a pretty pretty good wicket. So your, your salary tripled, and you got you got a, a, a reasonable signing bonus. But then word started to filter <laughs> through that other players were getting fifty thousand dollars sign on and five hundred, seven hundred thousand dollar contracts. A guy like Steve Edmed, credit to him, not being disrespectful yeah. to, to Steve, signed something ridiculous like seven hundred thousand dollars and a hundred thousand dollar <laughs> sign on fee. And we're saying we've missed out, we've missed missed, missed the boat. Yeah. What what yeah. happened? Um, the 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 better players signed seven years for. Seven or eight hundred thousand, and got a hundred thousand dollar sign on fees like Laurie Daly, Langer. You know, they they deserved it and that sort of thing. And so we thought we were done it a little bit because we only signed two year contracts and and got like ten thousand dollars. Now we should never look a gift horse in the mouth, right? Because that was still very very good money. Yeah. But um, uh, when we reflect back, a few a few of them had a, had a few gripes, and they were going to their managers and and saying, "Go back to Super League and saying, no, 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 I want another forty thousand dollars or something like that." So I didn't do that. I, I just accepted it was it was good coin. Um, remember, this was ninety ninety six, and uh, we just got on with it and played played under the yeah. Super League banner. And Steve Edmed, uh, he was one of my best mates on the Gold Coast. Oh, right. They they were friends. So before I had anything to do with rugby league. Uh, we kind of followed Balmain because Steve Edmed was playing in the front row with the Balmain Tigers, that you know, famous team. Mm. So he did did the deal. <laughs> Steve <laughs> Edmed did the deal of a lifetime. Absolutely. Good luck to him. Yeah. Matty, uh, okay, so Super League folds, it divides so many people. Like I think my dad kind of you know, was disinterested in rugby league after that for a long time and started to follow AFL. You know, did you get that vibe yourself through that period? To be honest, Steve, uh, uh, and we we're probably a little bit selfish and in a bubble, we didn't care. So, so we, we were paid to play footy, and if we we're lining up uh, against only half of the competition, so be it. Um, we had some great incentives. They introduced the World Club Challenge, where we went over to the UK for three weeks in the middle of the season and played like uh, Castleford, uh, the French team, and. Sheffield. Um, a funny story. We we actually we were the first Australian team to be beaten in the competition by Sheffield on this miserable, uh, <laughs> miserably cold afternoon. We'd actually bombed about eight tries. We should have won forty to ten, but we got beat by six points or something. Dean Lance had moved into being the coach, and he went um, absolutely nuts at us. And uh, we got back to the hotel in Leeds and. Uh, it, it was like a morgue and we thought the world was going to come tumbling down on us, but we all came together because he, he just roasted us. Worst um, post-game speech ever, I think, uh, or, or spray ever. But we got together and said, look, we're, MG let it. We're in the UK. We're over here by ourselves. Let's go out and drink. <laughs> so so we, we, we disregarded Dean's instructions, but I think uh, a couple of the senior boys went and had a chat to him and he actually came out and, and joined us. But the funny thing was because we'd blown our chance of, of winning that that competition we're playing um, a St Germain the Paris team coached by our ex-coach Peter Mulholland we had three days in Paris we arrived we trained we slept we had a whole day so we would we paid the the bus the bus driver uh, each chipped in um, 20 pound or whatever to sightsee around Paris for the day. Chauffeur. Chauffeur. Just take us to all the sites so we can do Paris in a day, which we did. So we'll ru- we ended up running late for the game. It was a 5pm start. It was a classic case. We were getting dressed on the bus 
uh, on the way to the game, getting strapped ankles, boots on. We actually probably, from memory, ran out on the bus with our kid on onto the field ready to play. Um, not surprisingly, <laughs> we got beat by parents. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it was funny because, uh, you know, who would think, you know, Paris are basically an amateur team yeah. would, would, would beat a, uh, a, a Super League team. But, uh, oh, yeah, funny memories. Funny Happy memories. days. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. by the way, I did the um, – my first grand final was technically the Super League grand final, 1997, ANZ Stadium in Brisbane. Cronulla. And the, the Broncos beat Cronulla. That's right. Olivia yeah. Newton-John was pre-match entertainment. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get to China. Remember Super League was going to uh, take Rugby League yeah. to China. Didn't the old, quite get there. The old QE2 stadium. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, which is where they held the Commonwealth Games. I did too. In 1982. So you leave Perth and you go to the mighty St. George Dragons uh, before they become the merge franchise. That's right. So I was actually, we were all actually negotiating uh, extensions with Perth and I, and I got offered uh, a downgraded offer because I was trying to wind back the Super League dollars. It was still, still good money. And uh, um, I was offered the captaincy as well uh, under, under Dean Lance because uh, he, he was impressed with uh, a few things I did in the back end of the season and he challenged me in a few areas. But I got a call from, um, I knew St George were interested. David Waite, the old coach, was now coaching the Dragons. And I said, oh, we're, we're settled in Perth, we're really keen to, to remain in Perth, but thanks nonetheless. But then Brian Johnson, who was the current CEO, we had another stint as CEO not too long ago of the Dragons, rang me and said, Matty, um, Perth are gone. I can tell you that as of this morning, they are gone. And that is the honest truth. Because we still thought Perth was um, um, viable. viable, right? So I said, Brian, if that's the case, I'm in. I'll, I'll, I'll sign. And uh, I quickly got onto the phone to a couple of, of uh, my close friends, uh, players, and said, if you've got a deal anywhere else, take it. You know, per- Perth, it's going to be announced today or tomorrow that Perth uh, have folded, which which they did. Matty, uh, we might have to leave it there. I mean, is it okay for you to come back for a part two? <laughs> sure, Steve, whenever. There's a couple more stories which which might attract the curiosity oh, of some listeners. Oh, there's definitely <laughs> stories. Uh, Warrington, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you've probably told that story thousands of times, but also uh, your RLPA uh, role... Maybe if you're going to move into a CEO role in the National Rugby League in years to come. <laughs> Video <with> refereeing experience. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of stories left. Uh, Matty, what a pleasure, mate. And uh, we'll do it all again soon. Great stuff, Steve. Time flies. That was uh, great reliving some of those memories. Yeah, and uh, of course we do it all thanks to our great sponsors, Robson Civil Projects. Did you know we're sponsored by them? No. Where's Fergo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, also known as Reg Allen. <laughs> So, part one, with Matthew the Rocket Rodwell, and he's got a couple of amazing stories that we'll tell in part two, including where he was basically run out of town in the UK Super League. Right now, as promised, let's catch up with Matt Snedden, plant manager with Robson Civil Projects. First of all, Matt, we know you've been with the business for 19 years. Uh, Tell us a bit about your role. So, in control of uh, over 110 construction workers, uh, trucks, floats, all sorts of gear, day-to-day logistics, Steve. What's the best aspect of working with Robson Civil Projects? Uh, definitely the atmosphere, Steve. Very family-orientated, support in many ways, and the types of projects that we do, phenomenal. From subdivisions, mining, infrastructure, bridges, it's great. What are you focused on at the moment? And I assume you've got numerous jobs all around New South Wales? That's correct. We've got um, jobs out towards Mudgee at the moment, 
the Hunter Valley is a big section of the business. We've just picked up a few more subdivisions on the Central Coast, which is Robson's sort of bread and butter. We've got a lot of activity at the moment and a new one down in Sydney starting uh, at the moment as well. What are you most proud of in your time with Robson Civil Projects? Working on multiple projects, even getting the finished product across the line, being able to hand something over at the end of the day. This asset that's contributing to rail, car bridges, subdivisions, there's, there's a lot of satisfaction there. We caught up last night at a function and Robson Civil Projects sponsored a bunch of athletes at the Danica Clark Foundation Scholarship Night, including a young tennis player, Nick DeVivo, who's about six foot six and is already a New South Wales singles and doubles champ. They also sponsored Sam Hughes, a water polo player from the famous Balmain Club in Sydney, also Gosford here on the Central Coast. And he's trained with the Aussie Sharks and could be on the pathway to the Olympics in years to come. And they're also sponsoring a New South Wales Surf Life Saving Champion, Emmeline Wheeler, who recently won the state flags in the under-17s. Well, Matt, you must be really proud of being associated with that foundation and also what Robson Civil Projects are doing to help young athletes. It's sensational to be a part of a company that embraces this, this sort of community work and yeah, the rising stars are just absolutely amazing. Matt, I've said on this podcast numerous times that Robson Civil Projects, they're a legendary business. Is that how you feel about the company? Yes, very proud to be part of the, the movement that is Robson. It's amazing where you run into people. Everyone knows someone that's worked here in the past or with the present. Hey, great job, Matt. Thanks for joining us on The Perfect Ten. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's been a pleasure. That is Matt Snedden, plant manager and a champion bloke with Robson Civil Projects. We're back soon with part two with Matty Rodwell. And right now, as a way to boot us home, as promised, here's the brand new Robson commercial. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Perfect Ten. We'll catch you next time. Robson Civil Projects means subdivisions. Robson means retirement villages. And Robson means road, rail and bridges. Robson Civil Projects means infrastructure on the coast for nearly 60 years. And although they're one of the leading Australian civil construction companies, they're proudly Central Coast and employ hundreds of locals. And talking to Robson about your project means you're dealing with a man whose name is on the door. Robson Civil Projects means bringing your ideas to life. RobsonCivilProjects.com.au The Perfect 10.